Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back, folks, to the GC On Demand podcast. My name is Eric Wright. Uh, you may know me as at Disco Posse on Twitter, uh, the uh, longtime co-host here and host of, of the GC On Demand podcast. You can also find me in the Green Circle community. I go to greencirclecommunity.com, and I'm Disco Posse on there. So you can always reach out to me through either of those means and hear about more. Now, today is a fun one because we have another revisiting, uh, I, I, I have to say, Rob, at this point, is almost a co-host of this uh, podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. Uh, so uh, I welcome back Rob Hirschfeld, uh, and Rob, you want to introduce yourself, and, and we're going to talk about how we are doing it today. We are calling for the death of configuration management. There it is. Or That's right a great headline. Yep. <laughs> Good sound effects on that one. There you go. The, uh, so my name's Rob Hirschfeld. I'm CEO and co-founder of RackN, a company that specializes in data center automation, hybrid data center automation. Uh, so we really try and work to help companies uh, you know, really fix their underlay, the, the base infrastructure automation process. We've been doing this for a long time. Uh, way back in the OpenStack days, uh, my team wrote a uh, project called Crowbar, uh, which is still in use by SUSE in their OpenStack deployments. Lately, we've been doing some open source work around digital rebar, which is our scaffolding for delivering this automation. So configura configuration management is near and dear to our hearts, uh, and we've been doing it for a long time, uh, first with Chef, then with Ansible quite a bit. Uh, and we've been really front lines of watching this, uh, this worm turn, as it were, uh, toward, away from configuration management, towards configuration management, exploding configuration management, however we want to talk about it. Yeah, I guess that's what we want to start with. We, the reason why I always have challenges is we talk to different folks in the community and in customer spaces and such, is a lot of people are just kind of catching up to bringing configuration management and making it a part of day-to-day -day operations. So that kind of day two operational stuff is they're getting more comfortable with it and people are still kicking the tires, you know, going with the caps set, right? Is it going to be chef, Ansible, puppet, salt? Uh, we've got Bosch hiding in the background there, but it's much more, you know, narrow and specific in what it targets. There's so many people just figuring that landscape out. And here we are, we realized you know, what is it that makes me think or makes you think rather that we've just, we can leapfrog that and, and move to this next step? Wow. Well, partly I would actually add things to that stack that you had, right? Because I think Mesos does a, a lot of configuration management. If you look at the, the broader Mesos suite, you could look at uh, InfraKit, which is something that Docker has been doing that competes with Bosch. Um, to me, head on, you could throw Terraform into that list. Um, and this is, this is part of the problem of death uh, for configuration management is that, oh my God, there's so much to configure. There's so many ways to configure it. Um, and then you throw Docker containers onto this and 12-factor uh, 
And if you haven't heard of 12 factor um, a design, go check that out. That's part of, that's an inherent part of this depth of configuration is using 12 factor uh, configuration, 12 factor apps where you're passing in things through environmental variables to configure them. But, oh, you know, containers really are the, 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 the straw, more than a straw, uh, that broke the camel's back on configuration management. Um, but it's not the only thing. Yeah, and I guess that it is a bigger array of stuff, and it's funny, I I sort of picked on the, the top tier ones, I'll say, or the most well-known ones, but it's funny, you get further down, and especially getting to folks that come from the development, that, that kind of were, you know, the Starnicks, you know, like they came from that background where they've always kind of rolled their own, used a lot of stuff that's more developer-oriented, and I've, mm-hmm. I'm like that, you know, one foot in the operations camp, very firmly held back you know, like I said, with this, this sort of legacy approach, and it's a terrible thing to say it's legacy, but it's just more, I'll say, traditional approach. And so it's neat to see right. that trying to find this this middle ground and uh, it, it's tricky, you know, because people are confused and, and even hearing this, you know, they're going to say like, <laughs> you know, how it's what, why does configuration management go away as we look at this next approach, maybe? So there's a, boy, we need to untangle this because just saying configuration management is confusing. Because um, a lot of times people think, and, and we're not saying the death of DevOps. Um, I can say that concretely. We think DevOps is here to stay. Uh, some of these tools and approaches are going to change the way we do DevOps, but DevOps is not configuration management. Config DevOps, uh, some tools that people use to accomplish DevOps processes or definitely configuration management. Um, well, Eric, this is a hard one to, to sort of piece together, right? Configuration management in a lot of the cases means when I set up software on a machine, I need to build the configurations and start the services and set up the environment in just the right way for my software to run. That's sort of where I look at configuration management. And, and you know, six, seven years ago, Chef Puppet were big on the scenes. Uh, Front deck, uh, we should include, and um, uh, there's a couple other ones from, from those eras, um, where what we're really saying is, you know, I had to create my machine in just the right way with just the right envir- environment variables, with just the right, you know, uh, prereqs and uh, my dependency path and install the right gems and install the right RPMs or devs and uh, <laughs> Then on top of all that, I wanted to do it in a repeatable way so I could automate it. Um, that's configuration management. That's hugely complex. It's very infrastructure focused, right? You cared about which NIC you were going to use and how many drives you had in the system and which, whether it was on cloud or metal or whether it was on Dell hardware or HP hardware or Supermicro or uh, all those things mattered and, and actually do matter still in a configuration management environment. Does that, does that help frame things out a little bit? Yeah. There's think, so many places to go. Yeah, that's really is the right way to, I guess, people need to understand what the where that sort of snowflake challenge is in, in thinking about configuration yeah. management. That's a good, a good description. Right. And it doesn't go away. I mean, no matter what you do, if you're running your own data center um, or, or running infrastructure, so if you're using VMs on, on one of the cloud providers, you're still in a cloud you know, you're still doing configuration. Um, and you still have to do all that stuff. That 
I, death of configuration management in, in a way is a great hyperbole title because you still have to manage your configurations. You still have to do configuration management. But, all caps, but, we're getting to a point where we might be able to do a lot less. And that's really significant, which means fewer people are going to write configuration management scripts, right? The idea of telling developers to write chef scripts to deploy their application, I think, is becoming dead on arrival uh, for companies that I'm talking to. It, it was hard to do at the, at the start. They, they tried to get the culture to work like that. There were a lot of sad, you know, unhappy days and, and you know, early happy hours as a consequence. Um, <laughs> That's right. And it's, and it's not because of chef or puppet. It's hard. It's, it's just hard. It's complex, you know, confusing stuff. And when you, you know, what worked on your laptop or in the lab doesn't work in production or doesn't, you know, what worked in Amazon doesn't work on Google. Um, it's a very real angry world out there uh, for configuration management. Yeah, and I think that's really, like, that's the core of so much of it is that even when you're in a very repeatable, you know, this sort of giphy, you know, Google infra infrastructure for everyone else approach, like, the only reason why that seems super easy is because there's a super simple, you know, baseline on which you build things. And no data center that I've walked into has one type of server and one type of storage and one type of network. Like it's a mishmash sort of, you know, a hodgepodge of different technologies brought together and everybody was sort of seeking the right abstraction. And each right. platform and product presented its own de facto higher level abstraction. And then now we're abstracting those abstractions. And you know, where, where do we start and finish on that abstraction layer? Yep. Sorry, I'm letting some people walk by. Um, well, that's exactly why we have VMware and OpenStack and, and people wanted to throw cloud on top of it, right? They, they felt that their configuration management would become easier if you turned around and had OpenStack as your abstraction layer. So OpenStack would create this layer of consistency and you'd have rainbows and everybody would be happy because now all of a sudden the configuration management tasks were much easier because the hardware variation, the data center variation would go way, way down. Um, and that, that's true to an extent. It's a big win for it, um, but it's not a big enough win um, is sort of the way it feels to me in hindsight. Just putting OpenStack or VMware or any of the cloud vendors or you know, even moving to Amazon where it's consistent because it's all a vendor doesn't create a consistent enough environment that your configuration management scripts became easy right <laughs> so right we're, we're keep we keep walking back into this cul-de-sac which is how do i make configuration management easy and the answer is there isn't a way <laughs> to make right. configuration management easy um and and so the result has been docker showed up and people said oh i'm going to package 80 percent of what i've done in container in in configuration management into a container in a Docker run script. <laughs> wow. And, and, and all of a sudden people like went, wow, that was so much easier because I just Docker run it. I get it all working. It's still sort of tricky, but once it's there, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not running an Ansible, uh, Ansible or Chef or Puppet script in a container. The container's built. It's all configured. It's got all the pieces. It's got all the parts. It's pretty much ready to go. 
I just have to inject a little bit of configuration or a little bit of identity. And then my, my container starts and it connects and everything's happy. Um, and once you reach that, walking down the configuration management where you're actually building a full script to provision a, a machine from top to bottom and install all that stuff dynamically, you know, especially on day two and idempotently, you're like, oh my God, can I, I can get a hall pass. I can skip that class. I can skip my calc exam. Yay. Nice. Um, right. <laughs> so so when, when that becomes an option, people just stop going to school <laughs> from that, that perspective. Um, and that's, I feel like what happened in the last, in the last year, people, you know, a lot of developers woke up and operators too woke up and said, wow, I can get, create these containers that don't need, you know, they don't, they don't have to be configured and just ship them into, into production. And I granted I was sounding rainbow ish, but that's a lot of what it's like. You build a container correctly and you ship it right. When we converted uh, digital rebar to be a containerized platform, it took our install time down from like two hours to less than 20 minutes. It's a big deal. And it, it eliminated 90 something percent of our configuration problems in, in bootstrapping the environment. Um, and that's, Meaning, a, like, that's a very like, non-trivial jump. Like people think like, oh, well, two hours to, you know, even if you shave it down to an hour, like that's only seems like a 50% increase. But remember that the first pre-containerized version probably saved eight hours of legitimate hands-on time that we used to spend that you've now cut down to an hour. So it's, it's a very right. important reduction. We, it was, we had a scripted install already, but that scripted install would break every time there was a gem update or there was a deb or a tar, you know, a RPM update. And we had to sustain, we had to manage it for RPMs and devs uh, for multiple platforms. Oh my God, it was insanely complex and it was always breaking and it was always breaking in the field when somebody else was trying to have that experience. And now we build the containers, we test the containers, right? You download the container, we use Docker compose to run our base infrastructure. You compose up, pulls down the containers and then the containers have injected information that wires them together. Um, and it's super simple. That doesn't mean there's no configuration. There's plenty of things you have to inject or add or set. Um, but there's, it's much simpler, much, much simpler. And then we still use Ansible to sort of build, you know, to build an environment and download all the prereqs because you still have, you know, for us, you still have to do those things because we're, we're underlet things we come into an environment before you've installed uh, Kubernetes or something like that. You can't just upload a container. Uh, and I guess that's one of the challenges that we face in figuring out, like everybody kind of wants the one, one thing that will do it all. This, you know, proverbial, you know, one throat to choke, single pane of glass, blah, 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 whatever it is. And what we have is, you know, people find themselves, like you said, like even if you eliminate most of it, there's still other distinct processes that are going to need stuff to happen and Ansible uh, still plays an important part, right? Or other things. Uh, maybe not. So this is, this is where, right. This is what sparked this conversation between you and I, because we are starting to see a desire for this radical simplicity. Uh, you know, the, the teaser for this conversation was we talked about a clock, right. Uh, ops being like a clock where you could open the face and watch the gears turn. Uh, and, and can we remove some of those gears and still have the clock accurate? In a lot of ways, not only do we make it more accurate, but we make it easier to maintain and we make it use less energy. And um, 
and I'm seeing we're, we're getting to a point where we might be able to radically simplify operations in a way that has fewer moving parts, less configuration, you know, less things to trip over. Um, and that's where I start getting excited because configuration management is hard. And if we can streamline it, wow, that's a big deal. Um, now, is there, is the challenge in people adopting this partly because there are not enough active shared use cases, like visible use cases that we're seeing in the wild yet? Or is it also a bit of a psychological holdback to people kind of like those classic CMDB, gnarly, JavaScript-driven, you know, ServiceNow type of stuff? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, there are, I don't think there are a lot of fans in the corner for those things. Um, there are a lot of fans for the business value that they provide, which is repeatable results, automation, right? Knowing what your infrastructure is, being able to uh, have, you know, reliable, predictable infrastructure that you can add things to in a composable way. Those are great values. Um, you know, there's, but I see a lot of people grinding their teeth on the complexity and the number of moving parts and the challenges for that, right? That's it's one of the places where I think OpenStack um, is challenged. Not just OpenStack, but virtualization in general is challenged because people look at Kubernetes or any container infrastructure and say, well, I could just run that on metal and eliminate the virtual machines from that infrastructure. That eliminates a whole bunch of complexity out of my infrastructure. Some of it might be needed complexity, like software-defined networking, or, seg or segmentation, there's probably somebody who's shouting into the, the uh, podcast saying, you have to have virtual <laughs> machines right. to run containers, and you don't, I, right? It, a machine is, a virtual machine is just a machine with a better API, and if we can provide machine controls that are equivalent or better to what a virtual machine has, then who cares? It's just a machine. It's just infrastructure, and if we can eliminate the complexity of having additional um, you know, points or things to configure and manage, then that's a win. Um, you know, physical machines might be slower, but if you had a hundred of them and you had to reboot 10% of your cluster, who cares? It's not that big a deal if you have containers on top of it. Um, and I know there's, there's, there are reasons to have VMs. There's some really good ones. Um, uh, and that's fine. And I don't expect VMs to go away. I'm not, I'm not proclaiming the death of virtual machines. I think we're talking about the death of configuration management for virtual machines, um, which I think is a net win. And, and I think that's definitely the, the way that we see this progression. And, and that's the important piece. Right. But there's no doubt that it's going on and it's legitimate. Sometimes there's people that are like, ah, everything's going serverless and like it's going to, and they're, they're running down the path, wielding this, you know, sign, you know, being chased by server provisioners all over the place. <laughs> but this one is, is really happening. Like we're seeing it in the wild and we're seeing consistency in its adoption, which is pretty cool. And, well, I think serverless is, is part of this your rebellion against um, and desire to kill off configuration management altogether, right? To me, that serverless, the, the whole moniker serverless is really not about servers. It's about, it's about thinking of infrastructure as infrastructure and the configuration that goes with babysitting and care and feeding of infrastructure. So what you're really saying is, I don't want to mess with that. I have a function and I want to run it. 
and that's it. Um, and, and we see, go ahead. So one more thing is, and you said before, like, Curse, there's someone yelling into the into the speaker right now going like, no, you need this. <laughs> and, and primarily, I think it's going to be the security thing. And this is a big fear, uncertainty, doubt challenge that I think we faced. And as, when you take away those those middle layers of, you know, the, their IaaS platform or whatever it is, where they've wrapped in a lot of their security processes, mm-hmm. they they ha- a lot of people kind of had this concern that, it's just like the wild, wild west and, you know, running containers on bare metal as, as, uh, as we've heard from Joshua McKenty says, it's like having, se- having unprotected sex with the internet or whatever. But we've come a long way since the idea that running in a container means you have root level access, you know, to CPU. It's, it's bizarro land that we still have to have this conversation to explain to people that that's not the case anymore. <laughs> Well, there, I mean, there are containers that you give root level access to, and, and some you know we're, we're seeing a healthy ecosystem building of you know containers that scan containers and track malicious attacks and things like that. And that actually improves security because of the transparency, you know, the, the host level transparency of the containers. Um, but if I have an app, and this is my my statement always, if I have an app that can break out of a container. There are known things that break out of VMs too, so it's exploits on exploits. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if that's, I don't want to. I wouldn't have an argument with somebody if they want to wrap things in virtual machines as as a segmentation or a, or a tenanting model or things like that. Go do it. It's not worth anybody's time to argue about it. If that makes you happier, add the virtualization layer and go because you're paying the price for the complexity. Um, so it's just not worth arguing about. Some people feel, you know, they have a single tenant app and they manage everything really carefully and they can eliminate virtual machines and eliminate complexity and get the system spun up faster and, you know, yay. And if you feel like that's too big a step for you, don't, don't, you know, you don't have to go to VMs Anonymous. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, and that's, this is, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to, to me, this conversation shouldn't be about shaming people into one type of action or another. It should be about thinking through, wait a second, if we actually have radically simpler, more direct, better control all the way down to the physical API infrastructure layer, and we can, we can make simple orchestration that just drives a physical boot um, and then post configuration and post and injects configuration. We should talk about all these things. Um, then I don't need much else to then install Kubernetes. Matter of fact, with the one seven changes and one eight stuff coming, I need almost nothing else. I can get Kubernetes bootstrapped, and then I'm off to the races. Wow. And maybe maybe this is the right time if I would if I can get you to do this quick sort of virtual walkthrough. Conceptual mm-hmm. conceptual design is I have metal, I have applications yep. that are that are good hosts for containerized applications, and there's all this stuff in the middle. So the logical layer then, what is it? What are the steps, and what are the the what's the not not necessarily vendor naming, but like what's the tooling needed to go from I've got metal, I have an application, and how do I do all the mid tier mid tiers without okay. the need for configuration management? Well, and this is the, I'll happily vendor name because this is what we do. Uh, so <laughs> Racken provides, uh, we've been, we've actually been uh, retuning a lot of our digital rebar stuff into something 
uh, that we're trying to get uh, people look at and and talk, you know, sort of talk through and, and see how it fits. Uh, digital rebar provision for doing this, and there are some uh, CoreOS has some some technology that works in this in this layer, um, but not many other people uh, have the type of Pixie infrastructure. Um, Pixie is the pre-execution environment that used to boot, network boot machines. Um, really drive this type of infrastructure. It's a new way of thinking. Um, but here's so here's the architecture. In my data center, I have a whole bunch of of, of servers, and I want to run Kubernetes on them. That's my goal. And then of course apps on top of you know, apps drive through on the Kubernetes pieces. And to do that, I don't want to install an operating system. And I mean install in a very specific way. I have to run an operating system, but I don't want to install an operating system because installing means configuring and managing and all this extra stuff. And what I really like to do is I'd like to have a deployment in which my operating systems run in memory, immutably, or on disk, but they're re-imaged on a constant basis. So I'm always getting the latest patches and updates and fixes. So I'm in an environment where my operating system is not, it's more like a virtual machine in the cloud. It's, it's ephemeral. I can create them and destroy them rather than patching and changing. Um, and so what, what that system looks like is I have, I have a fleet of machines, I bootstrap it, it gets a network operating system install that runs the, the infrastructure. Um, at that point, I don't even want SSH on the box. So that bootstrap process loads a configuration file usually uh, following a cloud init pattern. If you're not used to cloud init, cloud init is a way to store a file that contains a machine's profile, so post boot instructions. That cloud init file is executed, even on hardware, so cloud init is really machine init from that perspective. But um, So you boot provision, that, that provision process walks through. There's a couple of ways to do that. It's like kickstart or pre-seed, or you can bundle it all together so it's all built into the system um, using like container OS or atomic, um, realize I'm tons of buzzwords right now, but bear with me, right, the machine boots, it pulls in a configuration file um, for that machine, specific to that machine from a HTTP request, finishes its minimal post configuration, so <gasps> we're still talking about machine configuration and configuration management, but now it's one file that post configures my machine, and at that point, is, has enough information to join a Kubernetes cluster or a you know, Mesos cluster or Docker Swarm or whatever cluster you want. Um, and at that point, the scheduler for those, those container orchestration systems takes over, marks the machine online, you know, starts giving it workload and, and, and manages your system. So the amount of work we've had to do to manage that system is really I need to boot a, a network. I need to very reliably boot network boot an operating system, inject some machine-specific stuff about it, including its credentials and identity, and then hand it over to the cluster manager. And that's it. And um, it's the funny thing is it really does boil down to a fairly simple process. And we've. Mm -hmm. There's a lot we can eliminate now. I'm going to only pick out one thing that I love, and it's maybe just because we use this phrasing all the time. I know the security folks lit up when they heard sent over an HTTP request and like, oh, hang on. <laughs> We're sending complete machine configurations over HTTP. Now, what do we have to think about around security inside those base provisioning layers? Now, obviously, HTTPS um, is going to be the one that people are going to jump on, but 
is there, I think complexity around setting up a secure baseline infrastructure is one of the reasons people hold back on it because understanding uh, PKI and cert requirements to get this, those base layers up is, is challenging, right? So this is, this is where my invitation starts for people who want to want to fix these problems. Uh, security is and is and is not a challenge for this. Ideally, we would have a secure boot process where we inject, uh, turn on the trusted platform modules for machines and inject credentials into the hardware. And we know that the hardware is the hardware. We rely on the signing keys on the machine, which most machines are capable of doing. Just configuration of this is tricky. So people don't do it um, and let the hardware, the encryption keys on the hardware validate its identity. That's totally doable in this model. Um, it's just more than most people want to build out of the box. It's something Rack's actually driving towards being able to provide. Um, most network boot technologies are not particularly secure. Um, they use uh, HTTP, they use H, uh, TFTP, which is a UDP bootstrapping protocol for the Pixie uses, um, because at the boot provision bootstrapping process, the system does its firmware. It doesn't have very sophisticated protocols. Um, so generally there's network segmentation. Uh, the boot provision infrastructure is not your, your network infrastructure. So there's two LANs. There's usually, most, most physical machines have at least five, net, five, four or five network interfaces. Right for out-of-band management, for boot right. provisioning and administration, for the actual traffic that the system goes through, all that has to be configured. Um, and a lot of times people want bridges and bonds and uh, there's a lot. Um, it's all good stuff. You have to, you, you, you want to do it. You don't want to cheese on it. Um, so you, there's no get out of configuration jail free card uh, here. Um, but the amount of configuration has dropped, dropped way, way down. And, and I think really the the reason why that chat comes up more often than not, like you said, you've answered it there, right? Is we've done other things to provide mitigation. And the reason why people love to throw up that blocker is because they don't want to do the next set of <laughs> difficult steps, right? That's an easy way to say like, well, I can't do it because I can't get HTTPS for Pixie. And you're like, well, what, but what, what are you doing I, right now? You're running around with a CD. It's still not HTTPS. <laughs> right, and it's not automated. And right, I mean, and some of what we've done with the digital rebar provision is we actually have like single use tokens that are tied to a machine so that the, the, the configure, I mean, we're still doing configuration. Configuration that gets injected into the simple orchestration we've built uh, is only accessible by that machine. So there's still, there's ways you can take security into this if you've built it into your system. Most of the tooling that people use, like Cobbler, um, didn't really think those things through they, because they were only trying to provision one time. Um, they, they, they didn't, and this is, this is the big head exploding thing. Um, we're, not, we're not talking about set it and forget it data center. This is a much more dynamic way to approach your data center, right? It's very immutable from a, you know, that, that perspective. You're, you're trying to say, oh, I'm going to set up my, my machines, and I'm going to reboot them every other week. I'm going to always keep my BIOS and RAM up to date. I'm going to rotate my certificates. I'm going to reinstall my operating system or re, you know, reboot and get a new operating system on an ongoing basis um, because that creates better hygiene and better reproducibility, and I can roll changes through my infrastructure much, much faster. Um, 
and and that's a that's where we're going with this right it's it's the amount of configuration the time sequence of the configuration is not a chef run where you're you're you know repeatedly running a system and then injecting a change on the server and then letting that change propagate through all your machines what we're doing is we're literally saying oh i have a new patch for my operating system you know start a cycle where my machines reboot you know over the course of the week and all that patch will get rolled out or even better my machines reboot every week so i just queue up the next change and it rolls through like a ci cd pipeline that that's cool <laughs> powerful and that's right what we really want is we want to look at a data center like a ci cd pipeline deployment where you're doing an ab test on a bios patch and a operating system change and you know you're actually rolling these things out on a continuous basis and if something's broken you, the rollout stops and you go troubleshoot what that issue was um, not you know we have machines that have you know windows xp from you know on it and we don't know how to patch it and we don't even know how to uh, you know that's that's those days have to end um they can't end overnight it becomes the you're now managing you can now manage those artifacts so much differently because you know the underlying processes to get them out are much more consistent correct and and composable right so you still have to deal with the idea that you know this data center is different than that data center and the operating systems are different and you know everybody has their own special spice they want to add in um that's that's okay i you know it, we're not I'm, I'm not advocating that for data center uniformity um because that's that's an innovation killer uh what, I, what i'm arguing for is much more shared best practice you know next generation of tooling where we can be api driven where we can actually do this type of you know uh you know cloud init style you know per machine api driven injection more 12 factor like um and away from you know uh, something that has to log into a machine and then do a whole bunch of, of post provision steps um that you know that, that then and i want to try and be very careful post provision steps are normal they're always going to be normal you have to do them what we what we're moving away from and this is where the death of configuration management comes in. We're moving away from, I'm going to go back to that same machine and reconfigure it again. So it's that, that idea of idempotent rerun my configuration on this system over and over and over again every time there's a tweak. We're moving towards destroy the machine, reconfigure it, um, right? Immutable versus idempotent. And I think this is the this is where people are gonna they're gonna hopefully be googling all this good stuff out right now. <laughs> I I just learned a lot. Uh, what are what are the right places to go? You know, we we've got a we've got a few minutes left. I want to where where does someone go when they want to figure out how to get started with some of this stuff and like understanding these concepts? What are what are like if I could take the Rob Hirschfeld, you know, top three links to go to and obviously, you know, rack in blog is a good place right. to roll. Uh, but beyond that, where are the places that you you send people to say, all right, go to school here and then come back and let's talk about how we do it. <laughs> um, oh boy. I, Kelsey Hightower has some great stuff about, about this. Um, some of the new Google, I, I haven't. So uh, CoreOS has been doing some good immutability um, study stuff. Uh, Docker with InfraKit and Linux Kit 
uh, a really interesting rancher. The Rancher OS team is amazing um, in, in what they're doing and some of the ideas with this. So those are great places to start. Um, uh, there's a, a little bit more esoteric, but equally interesting uh, Intel has something called Clear OS, which has these concepts in it. Yes. And Red Hat has Atomic. So you can, you can go all over the place and find the, the basis of this. Um, it, there hasn't been as much of a really consistent, and hopefully somebody in the show will say, hey, Rob, check out these. This guy's got a great immutable infrastructure blog. Um, at the metal level, we're not there. We're, I, we haven't, right? We're trying to do it with Racken. I'm, I'm pulling together materials. Uh, Racken does a weekly SRE um, summary, and so we're always looking for materials. And so if people uh, highlight us and, and ping us, we'll include that. Um, those those links in our weekly SRE updates. Um, and the funny thing is, that not, as, not as much. Yeah, it's happening out there, right? Like, I mean, we had this. I remember when when VMware had their their uh, vCloud Air, you know, platform, and it was this idea. It was like it was puppetized infrastructure. They had built their own uh, their own DSL. They called it Zed, which was like the zombie language. It was really neat. Nick <laughs> did that, and there was this this continuous wait time when we thought it was it was meant to be open sourced, ideally, and then it never came to light. And un unfortunately, that platform itself you know, was sort of it was relaxed and then sold off in, in part to, I think it's OVH or whatever, OVN, OVH, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, okay. And I like, no, no, share, it, share it still. Like we, there was so much stuff that we could learn from what happens there. And obviously they're doing the same thing with stuff on AWS, dedicated infrastructure and, and other mm -hmm. folks are doing this in like that's, it's almost the service provider, the server providers are doing it but everyone's afraid to give it away as if it's like, Oh no, no. You know, like if you, if we show you how to do this, then you won't need us anymore. Like, no, no, <laughs> no one has the, the vanilla repeatable hardware stack that you do necessarily, but they could really, really learn and they would maybe love you more if you shared it out. And, and this is, you know, with digital rebar provision, right? Specifically provision. So digital rebar is a, is a big project with a whole bunch of orchestration pieces and things like that. Provision is really focused on this boot provision, control, orchestrate, mini orchestrate um, cycle that accomplishes the things that we're talking about here. And if, if people wanna play with us in, in that and talk, talk through these items, because um, there's hard problems here, right? You have to have an HA, high availability um, boot provision infrastructure. Uh, so high availability DHCP server, which is tricky and high availability boot provisioner, which is also tricky because that's right, you, you can't, those systems now become essential data center infrastructure. Um, and that conversation is super new. Um, and we're, we're, we're just engaging in it now. So I appreciate you sort of taking the lead on, all right, Rob, this is, you know, there's some, some wet sand here. Uh, you know, how do we have these conversations? And we, this is exactly the place to start them. Awesome. Yeah. And I hope that we see more that where we can move to that level of content where it's like, all right, here's how to set up your resilience, you know, boot layer, bottom layer infrastructure to prepare for this, this style. It's, that's a lot of the stuff that's going to be needed. Ah, well, check in with me in a couple of weeks. We're starting to show that plus uh, some distributed management of boot provision, uh, which is super cool also. Nice. Uh, teasers, lots of teasers. There Very we cool. go, there we go. Well, and the, and the interesting thing too is I, uh, so I run this 
this community thing called Virtual Design Master, which is, it kind of came originally out of the, the sort of VMware vExpert centric camp of folks like being able to think architecturally when they don't necessarily have a chance to be architects. And can you work at conceptual, logical, physical, build out a design for a distinct large scale business use case which was fun. We built it around a zombie apocalypse. We had a lot of really interesting storylines that went along with it. And it went through the idea of design, then protect it, then orchestrate with it. And it ends with a live deployment. And we've always done it on physical. We actually use barometalcloud.com and, and they have bare metal infrastructure for us. And we use that for the first uh, three or four years. And this year, we've actually switched, and we're using Packet.net. Uh, so they've sponsored Day us this year. And it's very, very cool. They're such a great team and, and huge community supporters. And I, I discovered them through your content because I'm like, oh, I know the name, but I, I get confused with Packet Publishing all the time. Uh. <laughs> and so what ended up happening was we discovered that. And we've now moved where th the change was – People started early with, you know, they were still a bit more VMware centric. And then they started to get into more outside the lines products that were making it into these designs. And we purposefully put them into the final challenge. It's on packet. It is, has to be a distributed infrastructure. It must use entirely open source. I gave them a baseline starter because I knew Terraform worked smoothly. I should have, mm -hmm. I was debating on sending them and I said, go, go rack in. But I'm like, oh, they should discover this, figure it out. <laughs> and Ter then, Terraform is a good first step, right? We're, we're not, you know, we see people using it. I have a whole other podcast we could do about the dangers of Terraform. Um, but it's a great way to get started with yeah. doing a, a, a batch provision in a cloud infrastructure and people should, should use it. And, and I thought if we, then we get up to the point where they needed to deploy a container orchestration platform and we left it purposefully open and just to see, and what's funny is I'm already seeing, like I'm seeing one Kubernetes, I'm seeing one DCOS go in. Mm. We had to have a self-service catalog of some cut, some type. So I opened the door and it's funny, like when you know the answers, it's a lot easier to write the questions because I'm <laughs> out, of, out of the gate, I'm thinking, get rack in, blast it into packet, you know, if you want to run OpenStack, so be it. It's already done. It, you know, blast in containers in there, run Rancher as your catalog. Like there's so many yep. ways you can solve these mid layers. But uh, it's neat to see that again, you know, we've moved folks away from the traditional model. And once they get rolling in this, they tend to not come back as easily, which is great because we found most of the people that were very, you know, Microsoft centric, VMware centric, you know, uh, they tend to now dabble into containerization, they're moving up to cloud stuff. And, and mm -hmm. it's neat to see that, that evolution in, in people and how they look for solutions. And then, you know, those folks then share that story. And it's, it's pretty cool. That sounds like an amazing experience. That's awesome that you're doing that. And so the, uh, the good thing is that, you know, more opportunities like that for education come again, you know, and, and shout out to you for the, the content you produce on that. So with that, I think I'll, I'll give the last, uh, the last plug to you, uh, Rob, where do we find you? Where do we find out your latest information on what you're doing? Uh, and, uh, and then we'll hopefully get a chat. We can talk Terraform another time and a few other things. <laughs> we'll end that one Circulous. off. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's, that's, so a, that's a huge Just thing. So <laughs> there's so much um, so I am available 
Um, I blog a bit under robhirschfeld.com. A lot of my content, we've moved over to rackend.com. Uh, and so that's the best place to go if the Rackend blog has a ton of my insights, my, you know, what, what I collect on the internet, you know, information we have, podcasts like this, things like that. Uh, all got highlighted out of there. Um, and then I've been guest blogging all over the place. So Rackin.com will central, we centralize all that stuff. I am Zeehicle on Twitter and GitHub and everywhere. So if you want to find out the latest, follow me on Twitter, please. Uh, Z-E-H-I-C-E-L-E is the way to, way to do that. Awesome. And I'll well, interact you. with you. I'd, I'd love to debate things on Twitter. So if you want to give me smack about comments here, please do. Uh, I welcome <laughs> the discussion on it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and I go at it all the time. This is, uh, it's good times. It's, uh, well, thank you very much again, Rob. And, uh, and let's, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.